Amen. Yeah, you may be seated. Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can open to uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1. We're going to deviate from our current uh, sermon series. We've been going through the Old Testament book of Exodus. We're going to take one Sunday uh, to talk about church planting from Colossians 1. We are at a little bit of a a turning point in uh, kind of the mission of our church. And so I'm going to be explaining that, talking a little bit about that this morning. And uh, so if you, if you don't have a Bible, the passage we're studying together is printed right there for you in the bulletin. Uh, Colossians 1, uh, just the first eight verses, hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, At Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, uh, we praise you for your great mission in the earth, that in every nation you are planting communities centered on the person of Jesus, communities of faith, of love, and hope. And uh, Lord, we, it is our desire to be participants in that great mission. And we pray that you would plant more churches uh, here in Whatcom County, in Washington State, in the Pacific Northwest, in our country, and in our world. And so, Lord, as a church, would we be a church that sends church planters, that loves church planting? And so give us, inspire us with um, a vision that we would understand uh, the work that you are doing in the world as we turn our hearts now to your word we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So this morning, we are uh, talking about church planting, which is the starting of new churches. And the reason for that is because church planting is a fundamental part of the mission of Christ Church Bellingham. Actually, some of you might know our mission statement, which says this, that the mission of CCB is to proclaim the excellencies of God in Bellingham, and from there throughout the world through worship, disciple-making, deeds of love, and church planting. There are four things we do as a church. Worship, uh, disciple-making, deeds of love, and church planting. Church planting is one of them. And the reason for that is because when you look at the New Testament in the early church, you know, how did the gospel get spread throughout the world, you see that the Apostle Paul went throughout the Mediterranean starting new churches, starting communities like ours in all the cities of the, of, of, uh, the Mediterranean. 
And of course, a part of the uh, reason that church planting is dear to us, we were at church plant uh, 10 years ago, a dozen people started meeting in the living room, and that turns into what Christ Church is uh, today. Now, as most of you know, uh, two of our pastors on staff right now are church planting residents. So uh, John, who was up here earlier in the service, Craig, who often helps uh, with our music, they, are both, uh, they were both uh, summer interns with us while they were in seminary, and they're here for two years for a time of training and preparation as they get ready to go out and start new churches like ours. And uh, how their residencies work is that for the first year, they are basically just pastors in our church. They're learning about how to be a pastor, about preaching, about leadership. So John's overseeing our home groups and our men's discipleship. John's, or Craig's overseeing our Sunday morning uh, services. And uh, then this past summer, they were going to identify a location where they would uh, do their church plants. And so over the past year, both of them have been on a journey of kind of discovering where is the Lord calling them. So Craig has visited Anacortes. He's visited Bend, Oregon. He's visited the Tri-Cities. And through prayer, through many conversations, uh, the Lord has made it pretty clear. He's calling him to Yakima, to church plant in Yakima. Craig grew up just outside of Yakima. He was a pastor in Yakima for three years. And so he's got a sight set on Yakima. Also John. John uh, was called by our church to do a daughter church from Christ Church uh, somewhere in Whatcom County. John originally came. He said, you know, I'm, I think I want a church plant in Fairhaven in South Bellingham. And we said, okay, well, pray about it. Look into Fairhaven. Consider some other places. Our elders said you should think about Ferndale maybe as a place to check out. But you know, John's talked with, I mean, hundreds of people over the last year. I mean, John's a really great networker and meeting all these different kinds of people. And through a similar process of prayer and conversation, the Lord has led him to say, yeah, I think the Lord's calling me to Ferndale. And so here we are at the midpoint of their residencies, and the locations are set. Ferndale and Yakima. And it's, I think, incredibly exciting to think about as a church that a year from now we could be sending out two church planters to two, two places in the state of Washington. And I think, you know, John and Craig would both want us to know that, you know, they think of these as, as like daughter churches that are taking some of the DNA of, of what, you know, the, the ways that this community has shaped them so that, you know, that DNA would be in their church plants as well. Now, as we enter into this second half of their residencies, all of this... Planting churches in Yakima and Ferndale is all still, you could say, Lord willing. Uh, there is a lot that goes into starting a new church, a lot of work for both these guys. They need to raise a lot of money. They need people to come and say, hey, I'm going to be a part of what you're doing. I'm going to sign on. I'm going uh, to be a part of it. Uh, they cannot do this on their own. And all of that will play into a continued process of discernment about God's call to these works. And this is one of the things about, uh, you know, especially in church planting, one of the ways that you know that God is calling someone to church plant is that Christians get on board with it. They support it financially, or they say, I'm going to be a part of it, or I'm going to pray for it. That's how God calls someone is through his body. And, uh, and so a number of these components will need to come together this year for both of these guys 
if we're going to be able to move forward. So a lot to happen in the next 10 months. But what that means is that they're going to need to shift their ministry focus uh, from shepherding Christ Church Bellingham to preparing for their church plant. And so for the next 10 months, they will be half time as pastors in our church. The other half of their time, they're going to spend fundraising and, and preparing for the launch of their churches. And I want to make uh, one thing clear. You know, you could call both of these daughter churches, but I think especially the Ferndale Church is that way. And our hope is that a group of individuals or families from CCB would go and be a part of that core group, be a part of, of starting that church. And we've told John he's welcome to take anyone from Christ Church. Anyone who wants to go, feels called to go. If 100 people from Christ Church said, we're going to give this church plant a really good start, praise the Lord. Anyone can go. And, uh, and so go and talk to John if you're, if you're interested in being a part of that. We also said we're not going to make anyone go. Not that we could do that if we wanted to, but, you know, we're not going to say, you know, just because you live in Ferndale, you have to go to that church anymore. Uh, and we understand that some people might say, Christ Church is my family, and, and it's, I just, it's not the time for us to leave. But what that means is that going to the Ferndale church plant, or maybe some of you should move to Yakima with, with Craig. Craig likes that idea. A lot cheaper, you know, I think it's cheaper in, crack, in Yakima, you know, if it's, uh, maybe you should say, oh, I'll go try a new place, help Craig out. Either way, we are asking that you pray about whether God is calling you to leave the comfort of an established church like ours and be a part of a new work. Uh, we have to think of this as a missionary endeavor, and you don't have to move to the Amazon to be a missionary. You could join a church plant in Ferndale and be a missionary. And I'll tell you, it's such a thrill to be a part of something new. I love new things that are starting from the ground up, and I think it's thrilling. You get to see God provide, see God work. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look together at Colossians chapter 1. This was the first passage, our first Sunday evening Christ Church's first Sunday evening service 10 years ago. Was in my living room, I think there were seven people there. This was the text. We preached through Colossians, and I think it really captures the heart of what church planning is all about. And so I think it's a great uh, opportunity for us to meditate as we're at this uh, new juncture where now we're sending out uh, two new church planners. And so um, as we think about Colossians 1, I, the way that I would summarize what Paul says here is that a church plan is a people from a place— <clears throat> A people from a place transform, transformed by the gospel. A church plant is a people from a place transformed by the gospel. And I just want to look at those two points as we study this passage together. And, uh, and I think they really gives us a, a vision for, for what we're doing as a church. So, first, church planting is about a people from a place. And, you know, the sense of place... The sense of context for a church is deeply important in any missionary work. Whether you're in Thailand or whether you're in Yakima, you have to think about the context, the culture that you're entering into. And a missionary has to both inhabit a place and love a place. And I want to talk about both of those things. So first, a church plant must inhabit a place. And it's fascinating, you know, how Paul starts his letter to the Colossian church. You see in verse 1 how it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers 
in Colossae, or sorry, in Christ at Colossae. And in, you know, actually literally in Greek it says, en Colossae, uh, en Christo. These people have a double identity. In Colossae and in Christ. They are defined both by their place, the culture and the context they're in, and they are defined by their relationship to, to Jesus. And the reason for this, uh, you know, uh, kind of double identity comes from uh, Christ himself. You know, the center of the gospel is that the eternal God came down and entered a human culture. Jesus wore a certain kind of clothes. He ate a certain kind of food. He lived in a time and a place. He grew up in Galilee. And what's remarkable about the gospel is that it has the unique ability among the religions of the world to contextualize, to adapt to a cultural setting. In fact, if you, you, know, if you look at the major religions of the world, they, they all have been centered throughout their history in a certain location and context. You know, so Hinduism has always been centered in, in India, or Buddhism has always been centered in China, and Islam has always been centered in the Middle East. It's been tied to a, a cultural context. And of course, you know, there's Hindus and Buddhists and, and, uh, and Muslims all over the world, but the center of mass has been in this one place. Where's the center of mass of Christianity? It's actually... The Christians in the world are almost uniformly spread out over the continents of Asia, North America, South America, Europe, and Africa. It's almost uniformly among all the nations. And, uh, and actually, if anyone says that Christianity is a white Western religion, they simply don't know what they're talking about. I've, I've heard it, it estimated that maybe as close to 90% of the Christians in the world are non-white and living in the majority world. And so you have these people who are devoted to Jesus who study the Bible, who believe in the Trinity, have been baptized, take the Lord's Supper, pray, sing songs to God, and gather on the Lord's Day. I mean, all that overlap and commonality, and yet they're culturally very different. You know, Christians in Kenya or North Carolina or Indonesia or Korea or Peru are culturally very different people united in Christ. This is how God wants it. You, know, you look at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and it says every people in their own tongue in their own cultural expression, all come into the kingdom of God and is this, you know, mosaic of all these diverse peoples worshiping God. And it's incredibly beautiful. And it's an essential part of our faith and mission to both be in a place and in Christ at the same time, to have a dual identity. The church in Colossae, they were in Colossae, they were in Christ. The church in Ferndale is going to be in Ferndale and in Christ. The church in Yakima is in Yakima and in Christ. And, you know, our hope is here at Christ Church that someone would walk in here and say, you know, these seem like Bellingham people. These seem like my neighbors. These seem like Norton. These people aren't rad. And yet they are different. They believe in Jesus and they've been transformed by Jesus. And the love of Christ is among them. So church planning is first about a people who inhabit a place and are immersed in a specific culture. But I don't think it's enough that you simply live in that culture. But second of this, the church plant must love that place. They not only live in that place, but they also love the place. And you know, I, Paul's letters that he wrote in the New Testament were mostly written to pretty prominent cities in the Roman world. So like Book of Romans, or that he wrote to Corinth, he wrote to Ephesus, he wrote to Philippi, he wrote to Thessalonica, and all these cities are either like a, you know a capital or like a Roman colony or a major trade route. And then he writes this letter to Colossae. Colossae was a small town in uh, in modern day Turkey, and actually 
uh, it was a part, it was called the Lycus River Valley, and there were three cities in the Lycus River Valley, and the other two were Laodicea and Hierapolis, which were both bigger cities because they were, both fell on this Roman trade route. And they both had churches in those cities as well. But Paul did not write his letter to Laodicea or Hierapolis. He wrote to Colossae, the little town of Colossae. Why was that? Well, the Colossian church was a church plant that was planted not by the Apostle Paul, but by a young pastor that Paul had trained. And you see him mentioned in verse 6. You see what it says? The gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Epaphras was the one who first told the people in Colossae about the gospel. He was the church planner. He went and said, Colossae needs, needs, a, uh, needs a church. And actually, if you go to the end of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, uh, Epaphras is mentioned again in the, in the closing of the letter. This is what Paul says. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He says to the church in Colossae, Epaphras is one of you. Epaphras is from Colossae. He grew up there. And uh, he, he loves his people and he prays for them like crazy. And so when we ask, why does Paul care about this place in this church? It tells us in verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow brother or fellow servant, he is a faithful minister in, of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras was talking about Colossae all the time, you know, and he was telling stories about Colossae when he grew up in Colossae, and he's like, you know, there's this Euro shop down on downtown, and it's kind of a hole in the wall. It's the best Euros in the Lycus River Valley. You know, he knows this town, and, uh, and even though Colossae was not the most important city in the Roman Empire, it was important to the Apostle Paul because Epaphras loved that place. And I'll tell you, you know, if you were at Covenant Seminary, where I went to seminary in 2008, you know, most people in that seminary were from the south or the east coast, and they didn't know anything about Washington State, but they knew about Bellingham, because I was there telling everyone about Bellingham, and they got sick of hearing, oh, yeah, I know, you're going back to Bellingham, and you love it, and it's the best place in the world, and everyone knows where Bellingham is, because the reason we started church is because we love this place, not only that we inhabit it, but we love it. And I'll tell you, if you talk to John and Craig, guess what you're going to hear a lot about? How great Ferndale and Yakima are and how much they love those places and how much they want to go there and share the gospel with those people. The, the gospel has a unique respect for place because the gospel is about God himself becoming a man in a certain time and place and culture. So church planning is first about a people from a place who have immersed themselves in a cultural context and love the people there. Now, I want to read to you a quote from uh, Leslie Newbigin. Leslie Newbigin was a, uh, a missionary, an Anglican missionary in India for 50 years, a great thinker and writer. And he writes about contextualization, which we're talking about, you know, how a church needs to be immersed in a culture. And this, this is what he says. He says, a man should love and care for his own people, his own culture, his own traditions. A man who has lost that love is less than human. That's what we're talking about, that we got to live in a culture and love the place that God has put us. But then he says this, but it has to be a critical 
and discriminating love. His participation in the new humanity through Christ makes him aware of the fact that his own culture cannot be absolutized. It has to grow and change in the direction that the gospel points out. Every Christian in his relation to his own culture must live in this tension, the tension that is always involved in true leadership. For a leader must both be one with those whom he leads and also be more and see more than they. What Newbigin says, we can't just love and inhabit Bellingham or Yakima or Ferndale, but we have to have a discriminating love that acknowledges that Bellingham and Ferndale and Yakima also have a darkness to them that deeply needs the light of the gospel. And so a church plant cannot only be about a people who inhabit and love a place, but second, a church plant is a people in a place who are being transformed by the gospel. They're being transformed by the gospel. And what this passage tells us about this transformation is both the what and the how of that transformation. I want to talk about each of those. So first, the what. What kind of community does the gospel transform a church plant into? And Paul has three favorite words that he uses throughout his letters to describe the Christian communities that he was planting. And you see those words in verse 3 where it says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The gospel creates communities defined by faith, love, and hope. And I I want to just talk about each of those words briefly. Okay, so first, church plans are communities defined by faith. Now, faith in the Bible is about receiving the gift of God, receiving the grace of God. It's about resting in everything that Christ has done for us. And I think that's important because, you know, in a church plant, there's a lot of work to do. You know, when you're in a church plant, everyone's got a job, everyone's, you know, you're opening your home, you've got a setup on, on Sunday morning, it's all hands on deck, and you're, you're really involved. And, you know, I remember when uh, we were getting our church plant started, and I was talking to my old pastor, and I was thinking about our first sermon series, about what we were going to talk about. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, I'm going to tell people the vision of the church, and we got stuff to do, and we're going to build this church, and we got to meet some people, and we got to evangelize. And my pastor said to me, even those seven people that are in your living room, give them Christ. Give them the gospel. That is going to be the life of, of, your, of your church and your community, even when it's small. And I'm so glad that uh, he said that because, you know, there can be an anxiety in a church plant. We need to grow. And we need to get people in here. We need money. And, uh, and that comes from thinking that this church plant is up to us. Um, and I'll tell you that, you know, all the people who have been a part of, of our church getting started have done a ton of work. But that does not start with work. It starts with faith. It starts with a rest. It starts with a joy and, uh, and a freedom of resting in Christ. And so when someone comes into the community, people can tell, is there an anxiety in this community that, man, much is going to be demanded of me, much burden, is this a place where burdens are placed on me or where burdens are taken off of me? And when we find freedom in Christ, 
We have joy, we have energy, we want to share things with people, we want to invite people in. And so the first thing about the community that's interesting for church planting is not work but faith. It's not work but rest in Christ. And when people have been loved by Jesus, it creates a second quality in the community. It's not only that church plants are defined by faith, but also church plants are communities defined by love. And, uh, and how Paul describes their love is important. You look at verse 4, how it says, the love that you have for all the saints. Now, saints in the Bible are not like special, really holy Christians. All Christians are saints. And so this is saying that the love that the church has for one another. And you might think, well, you know, that sounds kind of insular, that we're just loving each other. What about all the neighbors out there? What about all the, you know, our coworkers and our families and the people out in the community? Shouldn't we be going out and getting them? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, if you try to just do that first one, try to love all the Christians here, that's a big enough project that you can take on. I mean, just the diversity of people that God brings into a church, they're very different. We're all messed up. We all have problems. That's a big enough challenge just to love one another. But even if we do love each other, it, it has an impact on the people outside. Actually, there, there's a, a new guy in our church named uh, Nick Goodman. He was at the first service. and He just recently became a Christian, and he was telling me about his story. He was in Seattle. He's a yoga instructor. And he was at a juice bar, and someone invited him to a Bible study. And I was just like, this is like classic Seattle conversion. Like, yoga instructor at the juice bar gets invited to a Bible study. But he said that, you know, when he went to the Bible study, he was just so impressed with how much the Christians loved each other. And some of them had just met one another, and they were just so kind, and they're so kind of like cared for one another. And it was the love that they had for each other that he said, I want to be a part of that. And what is this that you have? And so... The first thing, no one's going to want to be a part of this if we can't love each other. And so we are a people who've been loved by Jesus, and the most natural impact that the love of Jesus has on us is that we love one another. So church, church plants are communities defined by faith, a rest, love for one another because we've been loved. The third thing that he mentions is church plants are communities defined by hope. You see that in verse 5, that says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, what is in heaven? What's laid up for us in heaven? What do we have right now that is in heaven? It's the person of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His body was raised from the dead. He joined himself to humanity. And the risen Jesus is in heaven. He's who we have. And we are waiting for him to come back. And I'll tell you, you know, if you go back to the early, those early Christians who were starting little churches all over the Mediterranean, you know what the message they were preaching to everyone was? Jesus is alive. That had filled them with so much hope, so much joy, that that was the thing that was inspiring their whole mission was they had this hope that Jesus is alive. We're gonna, we live with him. He's going to come back and set all things right, and we have a future with him. And what God envisions is a world saturated with communities like these of faith, communities that have a rest in Jesus, of love, where people love one another because they've been loved by Jesus and that are energized by the hope of the gospel that is centered on the person of Christ. And so uh, in every nation now, God is creating these communities. But this is our last question is how does he do it? That was the what? Communities of, of faith, love, and hope. How are communities like that formed? And I love the answer in this passage. It, it says in the second half of verse 5, 
Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. The thing that creates communities like this is the word of God. You know, it's just like in the creation. You know, because how does a church plant? A church plant doesn't exist. There's not a church plant in Ferndale or Yakima. There's nothing. How do you get something out of nothing? Well, the creation story tells us that when there was nothing, how did God create the world? He spoke, and his word had a power that created a world. And that's the same, which actually, you notice that Genesis chapter 1 is is mentioned in that verse. You know how Paul says that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing? That's a quote from Genesis 1 when when God made man male and female and tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1 is fulfilled by the gospel. The gospel is the thing that fills the world with with worshipers. And, uh, And so it is the word of God when God's word speaks. Communities are formed, and specifically the word of the gospel. And which, by the way, just a side note, you know, some of you, have, I, I have a friend who's a Roman Catholic, and we've been talking about the differences between being, we're a Presbyterian church, they're a Roman Catholic. This is one of the main differences that we have found, is that he would say, where did the word come from? Well, God created the word through the church. And they would say, well, the church put the Bible together, and it happened several hundred years after the, the, the church was formed. And we'd say, no, that's totally backwards. God created the church through his word. It's the word that creates the church, not the church that creates the word. And when God's word speaks, it brings light. It brings newness. It brings a kingdom. It gathers people together. And it's the word of God that has brought all of us here, that has changed our lives. It's the word of the gospel that has transformed us. And so our mission as a church is to send people out to go proclaim that message, that word of faith, love, and hope in Christ. That is why... As a church, we will keep having interns who come in the summers and they preach their first sermons to us. And we'll have residents who will come and spend two years preparing for ministry and church planners that we will send out and that we will go with because this is God's mission in the world. Because the gospel is the very power of God. The gospel is, has formed our family and the God. God wants to form more families like ours. And so how will the world hear if they have no one to preach to them? So we must be sending people. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your mission, a mission that began uh, in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet. And here we are, way up in the corner of Bellingham, And your mission has come to us. Your word has called to us and gathered us into your family um, to know the love of Christ, to rest in his grace. And uh, Lord, we long for to see you plant more churches like ours. And Lord, show us how as a church. Um, And give us one mind one vision as a people. And I pray for our church. I pray for those who should be praying. Should I be a part of one of these works? Um, I pray that uh, your, um, the energy 
to uh, do these works would come from the joy of the gospel. Help us to encourage John and Craig. Um, help us to plant many churches over the life of, of Christchurch Bellingham and our time in this community. And so we look to you uh, in faith, in Christ's name.